This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, in which he is answering the disciples' question, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? Well, it's interesting because a new poll shows 44% of Americans think COVID-19 is God's wake-up call to our nation, and a third of those respondents see it as part of the last days predicted in the Bible. So in thinking about our current pestilence, I have been trying, as I know we all are, to consider the situation above all from a biblical perspective. And as I was thinking about it, I remembered an old book that I have on my shelf. It's called God's Terrible Voice in the City. You might have read it. It's an account of the Great Plague and the Great Fire in London. This occurred back in 1665 and 1666 by the Puritan minister Thomas Vincent. And in preaching about God's hand in those horrific circumstances, Vincent does not hold back. He preached that the plague and the fire were God's judgments on the city of London and indeed the whole nation of England and really measured out what happened and what went on and told the people to repent of their sins and turn back to the Savior. Now, a lot of pastors today, I don't think, would dare to preach in this way, but I do think it's critical for us to consider God's judgments in these days and to consider how these times in which we're living could be preparation for a revival, which we've all been praying for. So today we're going to talk about it with the Reverend Al Baker. Al has been in the gospel ministry for over 35 years. He's a great speaker, great author, and he serves as an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship and has written some tremendously helpful articles on the biblical perspective on COVID-19 over at his weekly devotional. It is Forget None of His Benefits, fnohb.home.blog. Al, it is just wonderful to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Janet. It's always great to talk with you. Well, it's great to talk with you. I guess pestilence is not usually the subject people want to discuss. I kind of wonder how we even got here, and yet I don't really wonder how we've gotten here when you look at what has been going on in our world in the last several decades. But what are your thoughts on even bringing God into the discussion of the pandemic? Because I've seen some people bring it up on social media and they're immediately shouted down. You can't possibly consider that God could be active during this pandemic. How do you handle that kind of talk? Yeah, I've I've heard that as well. And again, I think what we always have to do, particularly as believers, is we've got to go to the scriptures. We've got to go to the well of God's word. And what does God say? And I think the first thing I would say is in Romans chapter 1, he says uh, that the wrath of God is is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, you'll notice it doesn't say that the wrath of God will be poured out. Hmm. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the context there is that these people are turning away from the true God, they're worshiping idols, 
And we know that Paul goes on from there and he speaks about how um, that they've given men have uh, exchanged the natural function of the woman and burning the desire for one another. And then he goes on later and he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, evil, greed, envy, murder, strife, malice, and so forth. So, uh, so I think the first thing we have to say is that every single day when anything happens that um, is, we might say, bad, it's a judgment. You remember in Luke chapter 13, some people were saying to Jesus, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, there were some unfortunate Galileans who apparently were killed and their blood was mingled with uh, Herod's sacrifices. Are they more wicked than other Galileans? He goes, no, no, that's not the issue. But unless you repent, you likewise will perish. And so anytime anything happens in our culture, that uh, is suffering or is a, is a trial or, uh, you know, something catastrophic like COVID-19, we have to say that it is a judgment of God. Right. And I would go further to say in, in Deuteronomy 28, as Israel's about to go into the promised land, he says, now it shall come about if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings will come upon you. And he goes on for 14 verses. Then he says after that, but if you don't obey, then all these curses will come upon you. So, so judgment is clearly uh, in in play here on COVID nineteen. That that is a really important point, and I think it is important what you've pointed out, both in what you just said and what you wrote. And that is just because some calamity is occurring doesn't mean that I committed a specific sin and God is getting me back. That that it's a little more nuanced yeah. than that. But at the same time, yeah. Al, you consider Isaiah forty five seven, where the Lord says, "I form the light and create darkness. I make peace mm-hmm. and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things." And it would seem that at mm-hmm. least from some quarters of Christendom, there is more of a deist perspective when it comes to moments like this, when when people don't want to blame God for this kind of catastrophe. But how how are we to think biblically about it? Yeah, you have to, you know, first of all, God is sovereign in all the affairs of this world. Uh, uh, He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Now, there is a, you know, of course, there's the doctrine of human responsibility. Man is responsible for his own sin. But at the same time, God is in control of everything. And if I had a loved one that was uh, came down with COVID-19 and was on his deathbed, and somebody well-meaning would say, well, this, this isn't from God. You, you, you can't say that's from God. Then what I would say is, don't please don't take away my loved one's comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The comfort is in the fact that, yes, he's in control. And again, as you pointed out, just because someone gets COVID-19 doesn't mean that they are you know, somehow more wicked or vile than someone else, because Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the rain falls on the evil and the just, he sends, uh, the sun rises on the evil and the just, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right. So, um, but at the, at the same time, we have to look, step back and say that uh, this is a judgment. You know, in Deuteronomy 28, which I was referring to earlier, it says that, um, uh, that the pestilence will cling to them until they're consumed from the land. And, you know, our word pestilence comes from the Latin word pestilentia, and it means plague. And a plague is, you know, lots of people dying from some disease. Right. And, uh, and 47 times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word uh, for pestilence is used. 
17 of those times is in Jeremiah. And we know that Jeremiah is constantly urging the people to turn back to, to the true and living God. It's used 10 times in the book of Ezekiel, which is basically doing the same thing. So God is, what God's doing here with this, with this COVID-19, it's a wake-up call. Just as when anything hard happens, it's a wake-up call. Unless we repent, we likewise will perish. Right. Now, this is interesting because on the one hand, when we look at certain judgments, you think of the plagues in Egypt that God sent to get Pharaoh to let his people go. That was mm-hmm. that was sent against people who were not his people. But when you're talking about right. God's judgment on Israel, those people were his people. So is it important mm-hmm. for us to differentiate if we are in the midst of God's judgment? Is it a judgment on the church or is it a judgment on the world or both? I would say both. You know, Peter says that judgment must begin, first of all, with the household of God. Yes. And so I think the church has to look at itself and say, where have we failed? And it's interesting to me that what this, this, in fact, my wife and I were speaking about this this morning, that this is very creative, what God has ordained here. He is hitting every one of our idols. Mm. If you if I live in Alabama and it's we're all about Alabama or Auburn football, we might not have Alabama or Auburn football this fall. Right. right. You know, and and we could go on and on. Uh, The entertainment world, uh, people's money, all of these things are being hit hard by this coronavirus. And it's actually while it's suffering for people, it's actually could be a tremendous blessing to people. Yes, yes, exactly. In the context of the church, especially. You're right, Al. That's one of the things that I want to delve into because you are absolutely correct when you say that this COVID-19, what's different from this particular situation versus any other thing in our lifetime is it's hitting us on all sides. And what is the Lord trying to tell us? We're going to come back with Reverend Al Baker. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are persecuted, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's Word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20, and a limited time Bible for Bible match will help us meet our goal of sending the hope of God's Word to 1,200 persecuted Christians. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, call now, 800-YES-WORD. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today and now. Here's your host, Janet Mefford. Thank you for being with us. We are asking the question today, is COVID-19 a judgment from God? And could COVID-19 be the instrument that God uses to bring about revival and awakening in America? Again, that would be our fondest prayer. I know the Reverend Al Baker is with us, great speaker and author, and he is also an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. You said it very well, I think, Al, before we went to the break, that this is a situation in which we are being hit in every idol, entertainment and money. And this is something else you've written about, the fact that we are facing a gigantic financial disaster. I mean, here we've doled out, the government has doled out, I should say, over $2 trillion to try to offer some relief to small business owners and people who have lost their jobs. There have been over 6 million unemployment filings now, and it's only been a couple of weeks. And I mean, can you speak to that? What if the economy completely crashes? How could anybody doubt that that is something absolutely monumental that most of us have never seen in our lifetime? times, as extravagant as it might be, as huge as it might be, at least if the economy collapsed, that that would be unbelievable. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago thinking about that and walking through a very, very affluent community, and I said, you know, God could bring a revival at any moment, any time, but, you know, He usually works through catastrophes and hardship. And I said, I just, I can't envision a revival, a major awakening in this country without something catastrophic happening. And I mean, this is on that level. I remember just on March 21st, I believe I'm right to say there were only 30 deaths. Now, two and a half weeks later, there's over 5,000. Yeah. And when I look at the economy, um, you know, if you take, if you look at our debt and revenue and so forth, if you take it's trillions of dollars as we know, and if you take away the eight zeros, then you come down to like like a family's uh, income and expenses. So here here's where we are. So what we've got right now as a nation is kind of like a family that makes thirty seven thousand dollars a year, but their expenses are forty seven thousand dollars a year. So they're running a ten thousand dollar a year deficit. Then and they've already run up uh, you know about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of debt. And now they've had a major emergency happen, and so now they've, they've tacked on another $22,000. <laughs> so a family making $37,000 a year, spending 47000 now has a uh, credit card debt, as it were, of $265,000. That's where we are as a nation. Right. We can't that we can't continue. Something's going to have to give. Right. Plus the interest on that debt. I mean, that, that adds up. Yeah, I know. I know it's some, there's going to be a tipping point. So how does that figure in L from your perspective into what the Lord told us about birth pangs? Because if the world economy is, I mean, the whole world will be affected. If the United States dollar collapses and our economy collapses, that doesn't just affect the United States that affects the world. Exactly. And when you go back through history, um, 
Yeah, I love to study revivals. Let me just give you one example. In 1857 in New York City, there was a major recession going on, and there were thousands of men walking around New York City without a job. And then on uh, September 1st, a man named Jeremiah Lanfear began a prayer meeting. That was the so-called Fulton Street Revival. And about three weeks into that revival, the absolute bottom of the stock market fell out. I mean, they were already in bad shape, but now they're really, really in trouble. And what that did was it, it drew these businessmen into this church on Fulton Street in lower Manhattan, and they got on their knees and they sought God. Hmm. And the result was not that, not, that the, not that the recession went away anytime soon. It was still there for a period of time. But at the height of that revival, 10,000 people a week were becoming Christians. Wow. And it spread, it spread across the United States. It spread to Northern Ireland. It spread to Wales. It spread to South Africa. Um, and so uh, with Andrew Murray. So all of that happened in a context of great hardship. And so what I always, but here's what I wanted to say an encouraging word to the believers. No matter how bad it gets, and it might get very, very bad. We have Jesus. He loves us. He'll never let us go. He will provide our basic necessities. We know that. We might lose our money. We might lose a lot of things. But he's going to be with us. <clears throat> He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And there's always hope in Jesus. Yes. Always. Yes. I would conversely say, however, that for those who do not have Jesus, there's no hope at all for them. Right. They, may, they might be able to, you know, weather it in a psychological fashion, but there's not going to be any redeeming um, message from it. So my prayer has been that God will use this horrible time in which we find ourselves and bring a massive awakening to our nation. That would be wonderful. That's what I'm praying for, too. You know, and not to put a dark spin on it, but some of the people I've talked to about this have remarked, well, but the problem is the church is not exactly at its most healthy. Do you think that the Lord will bring an awakening among his people first? Because don't we need to be the ones who first return to the Lord our God and repent of our lukewarmness and repent of our apathy and our pride and all of the sins that we take so lightly when circumstances are good? Absolutely. And again, judgment begins with the household of God. And I think every believer should say, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me the everlasting way. We've got to get on our faces before God and say, God, what about me? Am I leading my family as I ought? As a husband, am I loving my wife sacrificially as I ought? (laughs) Am I rearing my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or are we becoming worldly? You know, what so it starts there, and it starts with preachers, too. Preachers have got to preach the Word. They, they've got to preach fearlessly. And I think sometimes preachers, you know, they, they want to get the paycheck coming in. They want to make sure that they can pay the mortgage on the building. And, and so it's very easy to accommodate to the culture, and we've got to die to all of that. And, and it may be that the church looks dramatically different after this is over. I don't know. We'll see. Could be. Um, Right. But I think there's a tremendous opportunity, and it does start with with God's people, no question. It does. You know, when you were talking about the word that you would give to the unbeliever, and that's such an important thing, you don't have any hope. Even if you dodged COVID-19, you still have to face the Lord in judgment. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but you want to be able to make that confession as a believer, somebody who has trusted in Christ to cover your sins and to 
to justify you before a holy God. You know, one of the things as I was going back through Vincent's book was he was urging the unbelievers, you shouldn't just feel bad about your sins. You shouldn't just mourn over your sins because you're having a temporary problem here with the plague and the fire. You should turn from your sins. Can you speak to that a little bit, Al, about what it really means in practical terms to turn from your sins, not just feel sad about them or feel a little bit sorry? Yeah, I think it, it, it means that we've got to see that we've offended a holy God. And, and Hebrews speaks of that God as a consuming fire. And we will stand before him and we will give an account. And it is, it, it's like someone who gets caught shoplifting. They feel bad about getting caught, but they continue to do it. Why? Because they really weren't devastated by what they did. So in the same way, people who are unbelievers have got to see, I have sinned against a holy God. I truly deserve wrath. I truly deserve hell. And, and, and only the Holy Spirit can bring that about, but people are to seek Him. Yeah. You know, Jeremiah 29 says, uh, seek the Lord and you'll find Him if you seek Him with all your heart. So I would say to people, and again, Isaiah 65, seek the Lord while they may be found, call upon Him while He's there, let the wicked man forsake His ways, and so forth. So it starts there. They've, it's, they've got to see that they've broken God's law, that they stand accountable to Him, that uh, if they die in that state, they will, in fact, perish, and they will spend eternity in hell. But there's hope in Jesus, always hope in Jesus, only in Jesus. And so they've got to repent and run to him and say, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? And he says that if we will truly repent, he will forgive. He will change us on the inside by giving us a heart that loves him and hates sin, And uh, that's regeneration, being born again. He'll do that great work, and when he does, our lives will change, and we will become, we will have a desire to pursue him in holiness. Perfectly, no, we we stumble, we all stumble, but nonetheless, the trajectory of our life at that point will be one of gospel holiness. Amen. Amen. That's so well said. Something else you talked about, Al, in some of your great articles that you've written about COVID-19 is being at wit's end. And you talked about this Italian medical doctor, which I, I just wanted you, if you wouldn't mind, sharing a little bit of his testimony, because when you are at your wit's end, that also can be an opportunity for God to use that, that you would cry out to him for his mercy. And that can be a good point to reach. Yes, I was reading a week or so ago about this uh, 38-year-old medical doctor uh, that's in Italy. I assume that he's an American. I don't know for sure. But um, he tells the story that uh, there are people just dying everywhere, all around him. And a 75-year-old man came in who was a pastor, and this man had the COVID-19. And he would go around to uh, other patients, and he would read the scriptures to them, particularly the Psalms. And this particular doctor says, you know, we were all atheists, all us doctors, you know, you can't believe in science. That's what he said. Of course, I don't agree with that. But he said, uh, you know, you can't really be a scientist and be a, a believer. So he said, we were atheists, but then we got in despair. And we realized we don't have any answers. And yet we watched this man minister to these people. And then he said, 10 days ago, the 75-year-old man also succumbed to COVID-19, and he says we were devastated, and it's brought us back to God. Mm. It's brought us back to seeking after Him. And I think that that's what God can do in situations like this. But to be at wit's end, that's from Psalm 107, 
It's a picture there of people on the open sea, sailors, and a devastating storm comes up. And, you know, these people have been experienced sailors. They know what to do, but they tried it all. They tried all the tricks of the trade, and nothing seems to be working. When you're at wit's end, the only thing you can do and the only thing that we should ever consider doing is cry out to God. Well said, Al. Well, everybody needs to check out your writings over at your blog. Forget none of his benefits. Reverend Al Baker, thank you so much, Al, for being with us. God bless you. God bless you, Janet. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be back on Janet Mefford today right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. 1 Peter one twenty five says, The word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. You know, in the midst of our coronavirus quarantine, all of us who know the Lord can still rejoice because we know Jesus Christ. And when we are discouraged or restless or scared, we have the encouragement of being able to pick up a copy of God's word in our own homes and read it, meditate on it, and to be reminded that the Lord is in control of all of our circumstances. Now, think about how it would be to need the word of God in trying times and to not have access to it. That's the situation for thousands of persecuted Christians across the world right now, and their circumstances are even more dire than ours. And that's why we're excited to get behind the ministry of Bible League and to send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in the Middle East, Asia, and other tough areas of the world so they can feed on God's Word. And I am thrilled to report that Janet Mefford Today listeners have really stepped up toward that goal. In fact, because of a Bible for Bible match, we may be on track to doubling that goal. We are hoping to send 2,400 Bibles to persecuted Christians by the end of this month because of that match. You can help. It costs $5 to send one Bible and $35 is what it costs to send seven. And if you can give a $100 gift today, that will send 20 Bibles to our brothers and sisters in Christ through Bible League. Just call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. 800 yes word or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com now i realize the difficulty we're all in right now as we've repeatedly said but if the lord moves your heart and you're able to send a few bibles to persecuted christians again you can donate by calling 800 yes word so we're going to take a few minutes right now to visit with michael woolworth he is senior director of broadcast media at bible league international and find out more about what your gift of a bible means to christians across the world michael welcome great to have you with us again Janet, great to be with you. Hope you are hanging in there during this uh, challenging time. Oh, yes, by the grace of God, and I pray you are as well. Tell listeners a little bit, if you would, about how Bible League gets these Bibles to persecuted Christians, and just a little bit more about this project that you undertake that's so vital for these persecuted believers. Yeah, the year 2020 marks our 82nd year in ministry. Our Genesis came Good Friday, 1938. Our founders had a deep, deep um, just a, 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 a deep uh, need of, to uh, to want to engage people with the Word of God. And so on that premise, our ministry was born 
uh, 30, uh, in 1938. We've never wavered from that, Janet. We've learned to refine ministries. We go along. We have a literacy program as people. Uh, we engage people. We find out they can't read. Guess what? We have a challenge. So we give them a gift of literacy, and the Bible's the backdrop for that program. But for most Christians that we encounter around the world, whether it's in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, or Latin America, um, they have come through what's called Project Philip. What is that? Well, Philip's the evangelist in Acts 8 who helps uh, bring the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. They come through this 8- to 12-week uh, Bible study program wherever they're at. It's available in their language, whatever, whatever ism they're leaving, uh, whether that's uh, Hinduism or uh, Islam, Buddhism, whatever it is, they come through this program. I've been through it myself, and I believe that when a Christian comes through that program, new to the faith, they're in a good place to begin their walk with Jesus Christ. But uh, would you have a Janet, that most of these Christians live where it's so difficult to get a Bible, and that's what Bible League does, and that's what your listeners are helping us do, make good on our promise to give them a Bible at the end of this uh, Bible study program. So for every Christian that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the soil's been worked, and they need what is what? So elementary to the Christian faith, and that is a Bible. That's wonderful. How are we doing right now, Michael, in terms of reaching our goal? Where are we at the moment? Well, I tell you what, uh, we're, we're told to social distance, and I'm certainly doing that at my home. I know you are too, Janet, but uh, I, our prayer was that your listeners wouldn't be spiritually distancing themselves, and they certainly aren't. They are being very uh, empathetic, they're putting their, their, their checkbooks uh, in action, and we currently have met the need for 700 persecuted believers around the world mm. who don't have a Bible. We That's said, awesome. can we do this for 1,200 <laughs> believers? Uh, we agreed on that, Janet, before this uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak uh, came about, and I can tell you that we're about 60% of our way to this goal. Love to get there in the next day or two, and as you say, uh, see that uh, Bible for Bible match uh, double the total once we're all said and done. But your listeners have really responded very, very generously, and I'm not surprised. That's who your uh, that's who your listeners are. We do have the best listeners in Christian radio. I can brag on them because they are the best. <laughs> they really are the best. That's awesome. Praise God for those numbers. And we do want to get to 1,200 or 2,400 because of that match. Michael, you have told a story before about the, a church in India that was planted in a Hindu village. You've talked about how that congregation is suffering right now. Can you talk a little bit about that church so people will kind of get a feel of what's going on out there? Yeah, India is in Asia, of course, second most populated country in the world, 1.4 billion people. I know they've been hit very hard uh, by the uh, pandemic. Uh, the land of Gandhi, but long gone are the days of his nonviolent Hinduism that he uh, promoted. There's anti-conversion laws on the books, Janet, meaning if you share your faith, you are subjected to jail and even death. Uh, we know of a pastor that utilized Bible League materials not too long ago. He was accused of converting people to a Hinduism by force. That wasn't true. But would you know they took this man out and his family, including children, and drowned them in a reservoir, again, all under the false premise that he had forcibly converted people to, to Christianity from Hinduism. Let me tell you what we uh, uh, we encountered not too long ago. A man by the name of Jayesh, uh, about five years ago, Janet, he was a violent Hindu. He would assault Christians and burn churches, but God gripped his heart. He became a believer. He became a pastor, received some theological training, and he went to plant a church. We had helped him with some methods on how to do that. So he gets on his bicycle, a very conventional way to travel uh, in coastal India, Janet, 
He prays God, where should I plant a church? He rides into a village. As far as he knew, never a Christian, never a church in this village. He began to share the gospel. The first man that came to faith was the cobbler, the man who made shoes in that small village. The man's family came to faith. They began to share the gospel. About 50 people came to Christ, then 100, 200, 500 people today. Now, there was a problem. They need a place to meet. So they went to the leaders of that Hindu village. They said, no way, this is a Hindu village. But I can tell you, Janet, those leaders saw a demonstrable change in the lives of these new Christians. Many of those men were criminals. Many of those women wanted nothing to do with their children because of the abject poverty in which they lived. But they could not deny that Jesus was changing the lives of these new believers. They granted the land. Uh, They've got nothing more than a picnic pavilion. I've seen it. And Janet, when they took me by the hand and they said, Michael, Michael, come see our church, it was nothing more than a glorified picnic pavilion. But Janet, as I stood there with tears in my eyes, I thought to myself, that is no less of a church than the bricks-and-mortar building that I worship in on Sunday mornings. Now listen, in case this sounds like it, it just happened like that, let me tell you, the man's house has been burned down twice, so J.S. has lost his home not once but twice. His wife has been violated. Many in that congregation have been assaulted. But, Janet, when I asked how I could pray for them, not once did they say, pray for it, abrupt bending to our suffering, because they see how God is working through it. What they're praying for is the Word of God. They need in the in the, in the language of Hindi. Why? There's no bookstore there. There's no retailer going to drop a box of Bibles into their village. If it happens for those 500 new believers in this small, remote village, I won't name it, but it's in coastal India, it will happen because people like your listeners will say, I know they're half a world away, but the same promises that I was reminded of when I opened my own Bible this morning is what persecuted believers around the world, and especially in India, need. And, Janet, that's what your listeners can do to the tune of $5 a Bible. Yep, yep. $5 a Bible is all it takes to make the biggest difference of all in the life of a persecuted Christian, just like Jay Ash, as you've discussed. And that really blows me away when I consider what you said there, Michael. And you hear this story not infrequently from persecuted Christians. We're not praying for an end to the persecution, but when you pray for us, could you please pray that we get the word of God? We want to be strengthened. We want to be fed. This is what it's all about, folks. And again, as Michael Woolworth has pointed out, it costs $5 to send one Bible, $35 send seven, and $100 today will send 20 Bibles to these persecuted Christians. If you can help, we would really appreciate it. We're getting toward our goal of 1,200 Bibles, which can be doubled with the match that's on the table right now. So when you get to your phone, and I hope you'll do it right now, call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. And also, there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. But once again, that toll-free number, 800-YES-WORD. And thank you so much. Michael Woolworth from Bible League International, thank you for being with us, my friend. Thank you, Janet. Take care. And you can dial now, 800-YES-WORD. story company comes i still believe available now for home viewing on demand based on the real life true story of chart topping singer jeremy camp i still believe reminds us that amidst life storms true hope can be found in christ you chose willingly to walk into the fire with her that's what love is i still believe starring kj appa rit robertson shania twain and gary sinise more information is available at i still believe movie.com There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. 
Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is creating funding difficulties for many of Preborn's clinics with canceled events which help fund the clinic operations. All the while this is happening, our clinics are seeing more and more women in unplanned pregnancies call us as sheltering-in orders have generated more unplanned pregnancies. Our call center is flooded with girls calling. Can you help us in this time of increased need? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To help a mom in need choose life, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call now. 855-402-BABY. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I think in the days to come, we're going to have a lot of discussions about freedom. The First Amendment, the freedom of assembly. We are seeing encroachments, I would say, upon our freedoms to some extent. uh, To some extent. And I think that there are different things we could say about different situations. For example, we have seen churches being asked to please not meet during this pandemic in more than groups of 10. And now you've had arrests of a couple of pastors. You've had Rodney Howard Brown, the Holy Ghost bartender down in Florida. And there's actually an update on that particular story because they seem to have won the day. Um, in, in that situation, he was arrested because he was having church services and the sheriff was very upset. We had played that audio for you the other day. Well, the Hillsborough County Council, according to Liberty Council, the lawyers for Rodney Howard Brown just met and voted to reverse its order. And at the recommendation of the county attorney, the council voted to recognize churches as essential Mayor Castor wanted to impose the 10-person and six-foot social distancing restriction on churches, but the council voted against her recommendation at the advice of council. Any future guidance the county may issue will be recommendations and not enforceable. Now, what's also interesting is the governor, Ron DeSantis, amended his executive order from April 1st, in which he recognized attending religious services conducted in churches, synagogues, and houses of worship as essential activities. The order still allowed local governments to impose greater restrictions, but now the governor has amended the order to require his order to be uniform across the state of Florida. So the upshot is that churches are now recognized as essential and providing essential activities everywhere in Florida. So that's interesting, going in the direction of giving churches more freedom to decide whether or not they want to gather. And it is really hard to make an argument that abortion clinics and liquor stores are essential, but churches are not. And yet the flip side of that is what we discussed on yesterday's show with Jeremy Dice, which is, is it wise to have large church gatherings at a time when we're still seeing the coronavirus cases exploding? And it has to be a judgment call. And I think there needs to be wisdom. What I didn't like so much was the flaunting, the flaunting that was going on where Howard Brown was saying, 
we will never close this church. And, you know, let's just shake hands and, you know, turn around and touch the person behind you. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just at some point, there's a fine line between trusting God and testing God. That's just where I come down on it. Now, on the other side of the aisle, we have situations involving freedom being curtailed that I think are extremely, extremely problematic. And I'm talking about what has been going on in the state of Vermont. Did you hear what's going on in Vermont? Vermont, according to WCAX, is ordering places like Walmart and Costco and Target to stop selling non-essential items. What's a non-essential item? We know when you go into a big box retailer, you have all kinds of things that you can buy and it really is in the eye of the beholder what is essential and what is non-essential. And they are now deciding for you what is essential and what is not essential. This is just a bizarre story. I want to play for you. Cut one. Tonight, Vermonters are reacting to the state's latest move to get you to stop shopping during the stay-at-home order. Big box retailers, including Target, Costco, and Walmart, are no longer allowed to sell you anything inside the store the state deems non-essential. The state wants to flatten the coronavirus curve by discouraging you from going out into public places when you don't have to. So let's unpack this new directive. According to the Agency of Commerce and Community Development, here's a list of some of the items you won't be able to buy inside those stores. Arts and crafts, beauty, carpet and flooring, clothing, consumer electronics, entertainment, which includes books, music and movies, furniture, home and garden, jewelry, paint, photo services, sports equipment, and toys. Now, you can buy that stuff from those stores online and have them delivered, or you can opt for curbside pickup if that service is available. The state says it's directing stores to restrict access to these items by closing aisles or removing non-essential inventory from the floor. Yeah, they really are doing this to big box retailers. Now, my reaction to this Uh, from sort of a joking standpoint was clearly these government officials are not quarantined at home with a house full of children. Because what do you need when you're home with a house full of children? You need things like arts and crafts. You need things like movies or music or books or sports equipment. How in the world are you going to keep the kids entertained when they're home all day long and they're trying to keep themselves busy and trying to keep themselves from dying of boredom? You already have some things in the house, but I know we went out and bought some arts and crafts things for our kids because they're bored. I mean, you know, we've got puzzles, we've got games, they're doing various activities, but at some point bringing in something new, I think is essential. If I had to define what an essential service would be during a pandemic, it would be things I'm able to obtain in order to keep my kids entertained, especially the younger ones. And who is the state of Vermont to tell you what's non-essential? And the governor said the reason that they want to do this is they want to keep groups of people from coming in and clogging up the aisles and this will somehow spread coronavirus. No, you know what you will probably end up be doing by doing all of this is, as people have pointed out, you'll create more hoarding, won't you? Because right now, I don't know about your area, but right now in our area, if you do need paper goods... If you go to the smaller stores, you probably will not be able to find them. Even now, you have to go to Walmart. You have to go to Target. You have to go to one of the bigger retailers that tend to get the big shipments in. And if you want to find some paper goods, that's where you have to go. What happens when those big retailers can't sell the stuff that the state considers to be non-essential? Now you're going to have to go to the smaller stores 
they don't have as much inventory. And now you're going to have everybody competing to buy various items and there won't be as many. And, and, you know, they act like you can order everything online. I don't know if you've been trying to order things online recently, but at least when we're talking about Amazon, there's a big, long backlog. And the things that you normally could have received in two or three days or even one day, now you're having to wait a week or two because everybody's doing it. This is just, and, and more than that, is it even right for them to be able to do this? How can they tell Walmart and Target and Costco, you can't sell this to people? What constitutional authority do they have to tell these retailers when they have the permission in the normal everyday life to sell all these things? What gives these people the right in an emergency to say you can't sell non-essential stuff? I think that's way over the line. Now, listen to how some of the residents reacted to this news. This is cut two. Everyone's view on essential items is different. Like for some people, like buying a movie could be essential because they're at home bored out of their mind. While other people make up makes them feel good, so maybe that's an essential for them. So everybody's essential, their views on it is different. Everything is going to be online anyway with how technology is coming, but sometimes for some things it is easier to shop in the store. I asked you to jump online and share your thoughts, and thousands of you did. Holly McLean says, even if you're in the store already buying essential items, what happened to killing two birds with one stone? And how about mental health to keep sanity? Catherine says, this sounds like it's going to further overwork the grocery store employees and delivery workers like FedEx and UPS. Krista says, if you can buy the health and beauty products at supermarkets, only there will be some serious shampoo hoarding. Okay, that was from WCAX, and I agree with that last person who wrote in to the TV station. Exactly. That's what will happen. Right now, you could go to Walmart, and you can load up in the beauty section if you want to on several bottles of shampoo. Now, if you can't get beauty items at Walmart, you're going to go to the grocery store. Now, everybody's going to go to the grocery store, and now you're going to have empty shelves there in the beauty section. So what have you solved? It's just very troubling how quickly things go totalitarian, and this is a Republican governor. In Vermont, at least, Governor Phil Scott, he's a Republican. I don't understand this. And I'm looking at the numbers of coronavirus cases in Vermont. At last look, 338 cases in the entire state with 17 deaths. So you have 17 deaths. So nobody can buy anything except non-existent toilet paper and ground beef at Walmart. That's it. I don't know if I were if I were these retailers, I would get myself an attorney. I would say, no, 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 no. You know, here's another thing. What ends up happening, it would seem, at least this is a risk, is you harm the business of the big box retailers. You you want them to lose money? They're they're the main stores that are keeping everybody afloat right now, in addition to as many of the smaller stores as can keep stock, you know, in pace with the demand. But you're going to hurt their business as well, because if people are there for their ground beef and their potatoes, they'll probably buy a movie and maybe a ball and a bat for the kids to knock a ball around in the backyard for a while. You're going to harm their business. What right do you have to do that? So there are all sorts of civil rights issues involved here, and we do need to preserve our freedoms, even in the midst of wanting to behave in a wise manner so as not to spread this virus any further than we may have if we hadn't agreed to quarantine. But there are certainly limits on this stuff. And it's getting a little strange out there. We'll keep tabs on it for you. Thank you for being with us. We've got to go, but we'll see you next time right here 
on Janet Mefford today. God bless. This hour of Janet Mefford today has been brought to you by Bible League. Help us help Bible League send the hope of God's word to 1,200 persecuted believers. $35 sends seven Bibles, and today your gift will be doubled with a limited time match. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD.